electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the Federal Reserve slashes rates to stave off a recession in the face of the global coronavirus threat. Life in America is changing as government at every level takes drastic and unprecedented steps to slow the spread of the pandemic. The race for quicker diagnosis. We'll hear from the CEO of Roche on a COVID-19 test that can deliver results in hours. And the impact of a halted economy to the gig economy. Uber's chief financial officer, joins us. It's Monday, March 16th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. I'm Becky Quick here at CNBC headquarters. Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. On Sunday, the Federal Reserve took emergency action, cutting its benchmark interest rate by 1% to near zero. In an aggressive effort to stabilize markets, the Fed also announced that it's buying $700 billion in Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. This action is part of a plan to restart quantitative easing, a program that helped the Fed shore up the economy during the 2008 financial crisis. Another move out of the financial crisis playbook, the Fed and other central banks cutting prices on their swap lines, essentially making it easier for financial institutions around the world to access U.S. dollars. When asked whether he anticipated a recession after the bank's announcement, Chairman of the Federal Reserve Jay Powell answered cautiously. The second quarter is probably going to be weak. In fact, uh, in the view of many, uh, output uh, declining, output lower uh, in the second quarter than it was in the first quarter. After that, it's very hard to say how big the effects will be or how long they will last. And that's going to depend, of course, on how widely the virus spreads, which is something that is um, highly uncertain and I would say, in fact, unknowable. The Fed has, to this point, done almost everything it can to keep the markets flowing. And on Sunday, after the announcement, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin commented on ABC that he may ask Congress to grant the Federal Reserve even more tools to help buoy the economy. Here's Andrew kicking off the conversation with CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve Leisman this morning. Steve, here's the real question. And we also heard Steve Mnuchin yesterday uh, suggesting that he did not believe there was a recession. Um, You can only hope that's the case. I spent the weekend literally on the phone with CEOs and government leaders and big investors trying to ascertain all of whom are doing their own scenario planning, much of which is worst case scenario planning. And even if this goes on for three months, which I think is not an unreasonable uh, timeline, given what we've seen elsewhere and how it appears we are behind. The question is how many businesses ultimately go out of business, meaning what kind of, talk about government help, what kind of large-scale government, um, call it a bridge loan, would have to be required? Because even though we keep talking about the potential for a quick bounce back once, in fact, this virus is over, there are so many small businesses, some of which I talked to that maybe that, that, that got funding pulled literally over the weekend. And that's something that I'm not sure the Fed can help with. No, it's not. That's the fiscal policy side. Look, uh, what happened last week was quite remarkable. I began Monday talking to people about problems in the Treasury market. By Wednesday, 
uh, senior executives were telling me the Treasury market is broken. By Friday, the Fed had come in strong. By Friday afternoon, the president and the administration and, and Congress had laid out, you know, serious uh, fiscal plans for addressing this. The transformation of what we think this virus is going to be in America changed dramatically last week. I don't know if the Fed action over the weekend put an exclamation point on that or somehow uh, eased the concern, but certainly uh, the idea that we were going to escape what's been happening in Italy uh, or elsewhere in the world, I think became pretty clear that we're not going to. And <clears throat> when concerts were canceled and sporting events were canceled, uh, and now they're talking about closing bars and, and things like that, the, the worst-case economic scenarios have now become the But that's what I want to ask you about. In terms of what you the think the Fed, the Fed can do, what you think the Treasury can do, what you think they may <clears throat> or may not be able to do in tandem, I mean, if you start to think about businesses, both large and small, whether it's Starbucks, which is going to be doing, uh, you know, uh, drive-through and whatnot, or McDonald's doing drive-through, to the point where, by the way, some of these, these, these places may ultimately have to shut down, at least temporarily. And when I say temporarily, it could be two or three months, potentially longer. These are sm a lot of these uh, franchise businesses, Dunkin' right. Donuts, McDonald's, Look, these are Andrew, franchisees. Andrew, N neither the Federal Reserve nor the Federal Government can stop a hurricane or a flood from coming. All they can do is address the aftermath of it. The, the Fed's job number one right now, I'm pretty sure the thing that keeps them up most at night is getting the Treasury market working. There have been big gaps out there. That's going to be the absolute key. I think he's put in place with lowering rates to zero, right. with doing additional quantitative easing with some of these programs, what you might want to be there for the aftermath. But let me just make one thing real clear here. Everything that fiscal policy and monetary policy would do, which is to increase economic activity, is at odds with what the health professionals are saying we should do, which is to decrease economic activity. Correct. Okay? So all, all they can do right now is address the aftermath and try to ease what the process of getting there. But... If anybody's looking to the Fed to stop the virus, they're looking Steve, in the wrong Steve, it's, it's, it, get, get used to saying the term necessary but not sufficient, because that's what everything is going to no, be ne necessary. But, but Precisely, Joe. Steve, thank you. As government officials close schools and mandate closures of bars and restaurants, the Centers for Disease Control is recommending the cancellation of all in-person events of 50 or more people for the next two months. That means everything from sporting events and festivals to weddings and beyond. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is the former FDA commissioner. He's also a CNBC contributor, and he serves on the boards of both Illumina and Pfizer. Um, Scott, you've been kind of guiding us through this almost every day. Um, where do you think we stand right now? Well, I think right now, um, you know, we're about six weeks, we're about two weeks into the process where between when China um, first identified community spread and then you had the lockdown of Wuhan. I think the difference for us is that we identified our community spread much earlier than China, and I think we're starting to take mitigation steps much sooner than they did. China did just about everything wrong during those six weeks. I think we're doing a lot of things right. Uh, currently, notwithstanding the challenges we had getting the diagnostic tests deployed, which will be fully deployed, I think, this week. I think by the end of the week, there's going to be much more diagnostic screening. I think the steps that the governors are taking right now, which are very aggressive, are going to absolutely um, impact the trajectory of this epidemic. I think we need to continue to do that. We need to have a difficult March so that when we get into April, this peaks out at some point in April. And if you talk to some of the folks who are modeling this, 
There is a sense that this is likely to peak sometime in mid to late April, and heading into May, we'll be coming down the epidemic curve. And the goal right now is to keep the infection rate as low as possible at any one point in time so we don't exhaust the healthcare system, so we don't start having um, more deaths as a result of the coronavirus. I think uh, we need to emphasize what you just said. You, you expect this to peak in late April to mid-May. I mean, that's, that's longer than probably a lot of people in the American public are expecting at this point. Lots of us are being told our, our, our schools are closed for two weeks. That doesn't sound like a realistic goal if what you're saying is right. Well, I think the schools are going to end up closing for longer periods of time. I think they're announcing two weeks at a time and they'll reevaluate the situation. In certain districts where there might not be community, trans- community spread or evidence of community transmission, schools might make a decision to, to restart, although I think it's unlikely. But, you know, that's a, that's a good case scenario. This is going to be a six to ten week process, and I think if we can get through this in, you know, six to eight weeks um, and keep the peak of the epidemic below the point at which the healthcare system gets exhausted, if you look at what happened in South Korea, Italy, China. That was about the length of time that it took the epidemics to run the course. South Korea is much more successful at keeping the peak number of infections down. Italy is obviously losing control um, of their of their infections right now and of their epidemic. Um, I think what we need to do is focus on how do we blunt the impact of the mitigation steps that we need to take to try to reduce the community transmission. Things like closing schools, closing restaurants closing, um, you know, bars, places where people go. So you basically slow down activity and people self-quarantine because they have no place to go. Doctor, though, what you're saying, and this is what we've been trying to raise the issue of all all morning, uh, CEOs across the country are trying to put some timetable on this and looking at their balance sheet, trying to figure out what their run rate's going to look like. Uh, Can they withstand this, whether you're a small business or you're a big business? It sounds like you're effectively saying this is at minimum a two-month situation, and when you really think about it, potentially three. Well, look, in terms March of the 16th, social distancing that you're you're talking about. Yeah, it's March 16th right now. I think if we can if we continue to be very aggressive like we're doing right now, and we we mitigate, you know, a very severe epidemic, uh, and we only we don't see multiple cities where we have simultaneous epidemics that are large in multiple cities. Seattle and New York look pretty pretty well seated right now. I think by you know mid-April, we're starting to see this maybe peak out towards the end of April. That's what the modeling shows. Doctor, you, you sound better today. You, you said we need to do more things. We're not doing it yet. You sound like uh, some of the stuff that's happened in the last three or four days has gotten you to the point where you think that, that we're doing more than we were and, and getting close to I it. think that that's right, but we okay. can't take our foot off the brake. Oh, good. Okay. Would you shut down domestic air travel? No, but I would pull the volume out of the system. I mean, I would stop government employees, federal and state, from traveling. If you pull enough volume out of the system, you're effectively have shutting down travel, but leaving it for people who absolutely must travel. You don't want to deny people their liberty, and travel is a form of liberty in this country. But I think, this, I think we need to keep our foot on, on, on the gas here and, and not pull back. I think the governors are doing the right thing. They're taking very strong action. You know, I would just say, if I can... We need, to fi- we need to focus on trying to blunt the impact of this on people. Congress needs to do something to help get relief to lower-income, middle-class middle work, middle workers who are out of paychecks right now. 
individually, we also need to think about vulnerable Americans, older people who now are home without services, and how we can support them, because that's where the real vulnerability is. That's where you could see really adverse uh, outcomes. You know, what this looks like, I think, in a good case scenario, we, we, we managed to keep the scope of the epidemic contained. It peaks out some point in late April. Heading into May, we're really coming down. July and August are relatively clear. Summer camps get canceled, but it's relatively clear. Then we're back in the fall, and there's outbreaks, but, but we're going to have hopefully a different toolbox in the fall to deal with that. Point of care diagnostics, hopefully, maybe an antibody-based prophylaxis for people who are vulnerable, um, like the product Regeneron's working on and some other companies. So we could have a very different toolbox in the fall that helps mitigate the impact of outbreaks if and when they occur. Dr. Gottlieb, you said earlier that New York City and Seattle, you think, are well-seated, not well-situated. What does that mean? Well, well-seated, meaning that there's a lot of infection probably already in those cities. And, you know, we're going to have outbreaks in those cities, hopefully not of a proportion that you saw in Wuhan and the Hubei province, but fairly sizable outbreaks at this point. And I think that's why you're seeing those cities be so aggressive. I mean, New York has, has been far more aggressive and New York State's been far more aggressive than, frankly, Seattle has been. I think, I think Cuomo is doing an admirable job leaning into this. Those steps are going to have an impact. We are, we're earlier than the Chinese were in discovering our community transmission, and we're taking aggressive steps earlier than them, too. Now, that said, we have limitations. We can't lock down a city, or we shouldn't be locking down a city. Um, but the good, the good news is that we're taking aggressive steps, mitigation steps earlier. And I'm not so sure that these mass quarantines and lockdowns are actually that effective. Very quickly, areas that have not been as hard hit as New York City and Seattle to this point, should they be doing social distancing there, too? Absolutely, because they want to prevent, they want to prevent more widespread propagation in their cities. I think, I think if you look at states like Ohio, Maryland, New York, where the governors are being very aggressive, I think it's, it's going to have a real impact. There's other states where there seems to be some sustained community transmission that haven't been as aggressive yet, like New Jersey. I think they're a little further behind, but I, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that all the governors are going to catch up and be working off the same playbook pretty soon. Dr. Gottlieb, great talking to you. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Next on Squawk Pod, the FDA granted emergency authorization for coronavirus tests produced by Roche, the CEO of that company, on addressing demand. We are, of course, ramping up supply as much as we can uh, to provide uh, relief to, to the system. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. At the crux of the health and market anxiety right now, testing for COVID-19. Roche Group was the first company to supply tests to diagnose coronavirus in China. The FDA in the United States granted their tests emergency authorization last week. After that FDA declaration, the Swiss drug maker announced capacity to produce 400,000 tests a week to meet demand. Those tests deliver results in three and a half hours, the shortest turnaround time available right now. Here's Becky Quick. Joining us right now by phone is the Roche CEO, Severin Chuan. And um, Severin, thank you for joining us today. It's good to have you here with the program. Thank you. 
This is a huge move forward because testing has been such a huge problem. Why are you able to do this test so much more quickly? If you look at the diagnostic tests, uh, actually it's a lot about automation and throughput. Um, and uh, Roche has a highly automated uh, platform um, out at labs, uh, but um, we had to develop uh, an essay, a test for the coronavirus, and that's what we started to do in, in January. And, and uh, I'm very happy that after record uh, development time, uh, we could bring this test uh, on these highly automated platforms last week. Where, where is the test available? When, when will it kind of be rolled out and, and where would people be able to get access to it? We got approval, emergency approval, on Friday. Um, the tests already left our warehouses over the weekend, so it is already available uh, and in labs as we speak. Where did they go? Are they going to places in the country that have particular hotspots? Uh, absolutely. It's all driven by medical need. And for that purpose, we are closely working together with the authorities, the CDC uh, in particular, to allocate tests uh, to those labs and those regions where we can make the biggest impact uh, uh, during this crisis. Severin, there are a lot of questions um, because tests have been so hard to come by about who should be getting tests. And right now, I, I believe the CDC and the WHO guidelines basically say it should be for people who have been in the highest risk or who have been in contact with people who uh, have tested positive for this. Where, where do you think we'll get and how quickly do you think we'll get to a point where tests are available for everyone? Uh, I think at this point it is absolutely necessary that the testing is prioritized uh, to high-risk patients or patients who have signs and symptoms like fever, shortage of breath, etc., um, because there's a capacity constraint. There is simply not enough testing for everybody at this stage. So for the time being, uh, it should prioritize to the, to the patients where there's the highest medical need. There are some times that the tests come back negative, but a few days later they'll come back positive. Does that, is that the situation with this test that, that you are just rolling out to? Uh, the test as such is very reliable, but of course uh, what, what uh, happens is the situation is evolving very quickly. Infection rates are skyrocketing, and uh, as a result of it, a patient who tested negatively one day might uh, test positively the next day. But as far as the test results and the reliability of the test uh, as such is concerned, that is very high. They are very precise tests. Severin, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Coming up, Uber's CFO lived through the financial crisis over a decade ago as CFO at Merrill Lynch. Today, he's navigating the crisis of lost wages for the ride-hailing giant's thousands of contract workers. We will be helping compensate drivers for 14 days uh, if they are quarantined or are affected by the coronavirus. Squawk Pod, back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, some of the workers that could be hit hardest uh, by the coronavirus crisis are the gig economy workers. And yesterday, Uber announced new policies aimed at helping its drivers. Those include providing financial assistance to drivers for up to two weeks if they're diagnosed with COVID-19 or are personally placed in quarantine by public health officials. And earlier today, Uber Eats announcing measures to help restaurants that use its delivery service. Joining us now to talk all about this and more, Uber's chief financial officer, uh, Nelson Chai. Good morning to you, Nelson. Thank you for for, for joining us this morning. Uh, just tell us, anecdotally or statistically, given, you, given that you have the data and the numbers, what the fall off in drives uh, and, and businesses looked like even over the past couple of days? Well, so first of all, Andrew, um, the most important thing for our company right now is to make sure that we are uh, working with the local health authorities to help flatten the curve. So we have a team that is in constant contact with the local authorities. Uh, we are following their lead. Uh, and we're doing a number of different things um, from our half in order to try to help flatten this curve. Uh, some of the things we're doing is, as you know, uh, they, they, they want people to work from home. So we've initiated that at our company. Uh, we are, as you mentioned, uh, trying to help our drivers. And so we did announce that we will be uh, helping compensate drivers for 14 days uh, if they are quarantined or are affected by the coronavirus. Uh, we are making sure that we pass on to our drivers all the information that we receive from the health authorities uh, we are working on disinfectant as well for the drivers to help them feel safer in their cars. Uh, and as you mentioned this morning uh, with Uber Eats, what we're doing is we're actually um, eliminating the delivery fees in many of our markets uh, for independent local restaurants. Additionally, what we are, we're going to announce this morning is that we're going to deliver over 300,000 free meals to health officials and first responders who are on the lines helping uh, on this business. And so uh, we're doing what we can uh, in terms of our business, um, we're, 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 everything this morning you've been talking about with your guests talks about liquidity and the financial crisis. And as you know, I have some experience there. Uh, we've done a very good job at Uber in terms of making sure we have ample liquidity to make sure we can get through this crisis. Uh, we have over $10 million of cash in our balance sheet. Uh, the long-term debt we have has no liquidity triggers or covenants. Our first maturity is in 2023. Uh, and while we do have a revolver, we, we don't plan on actually accessing any of it. Um, as you can imagine, because of my experience, we are doing a fair amount of stress testing, uh, and we believe we have ample liquidity uh, to make sure that we can make it through. Nelson, let me ask you this. I'm actually less, less worried right now about the liquidity of Uber. I think you're, the company itself will get through this. The question is, so many of these gig workers are uh, effectively their own small business, and demand uh, is falling off a cliff and for good reason, and in many ways, uh, from a health perspective, you may want demand to fall off a cliff. The question is uh, what you think from a, perhaps a policy perspective or from a corporate perspective uh, can and should be done uh, for those drivers uh, and therefore, by the way, long term for the economy and then the demand picture on the other end. Sure. So first of all, for the drivers um, in this country today, uh, if you're an employee, you get benefits. But if you're a contractor, you don't. So we actually think there's a third and a better path. 
So today in the UK and France, we actually are able to provide our drivers with benefits, including health insurance. If you look at our ballot initiative, Andrew, one of the things we're promoting, it, besides uh, minimum driver earnings, uh, is also benefits. So we actually think there are ways that we can, in the private sector, help address this. And so we are certainly on the forefront in terms of making right. sure that our earners Wait a actually what keeps have benefits. you from offering benefits in the United States? Uh, there are actually laws that we're working through, Becky. And so today in the U.K. and France, we actually we, we do. Uh, and, but what and we, are the laws that are preventing you from offering benefits to your employees or contractors? Well, so to con no, no, to employees you can, to contractors you, to contractors you can't. But Nelson, in truth, you've been fighting the contractor issue in California and throughout the country because you don't want to say that they're employees. Uh, well, they're not employees, and actually, uh, most of our drivers today actually drive part time. Only about 10% of our, our drivers in the U.S. drive what you consider full time. Uh, and what they'd like to do is they like the flexibility on our system, and they've told us this. Right. Uh, so, but what they would like are some benefits, and so to the extent we can get the rules changed, uh, we would be happy uh, to work with the authorities. Starbucks benefits to its part-time employees? Uh, they're employees, Becky. Um, and then, Andrew, your second question it was really like about, about global demand. And so what I would tell you is this. Is so as you know, we are a large global company. Uh, we're diversified. Uh, what we've seen to date is uh, our Uber Eats business is about 25% uh, of our gross bookings today. Uh, that business continues uh, to, you know, manage through the crisis. Uh, on the ride side of the business, uh, we are starting to see over probably the past week and a half more impact uh, in certain key cities, particularly as the, the crisis has spread towards Western Europe and in the United States. Uh, so in a city like a Seattle, uh, where many, most, most of the residents now are working from home uh, and they are curtailing, you know, going out, you are seeing some significant impact in the 40 to 50 percent, you know, in terms of uh, what we're seeing today. Um, but again, this has been over the past you know, week and a half or so that we're starting to see these statistics. Uh, similarly, in, in Latin America, we're actually not seeing as much impact today. Uh, we do expect over time that it'll be a city by city thing. Um, the one thing about our business is we do see some recovery. Mm -hmm. So in Hong Kong, as you know, that was dealing with this virus earlier, uh, peak to trough, we saw rides decline about 45%, and that was in the last week of January. We're starting to see those rides come back. Um, our Uber Eats business has actually done better than we had anticipated. Um, and so we do expect that this will have impact. Um, our primary concern today, though, is really about doing what we can do to help the local health authorities uh, manage the containment. Um, just final question, because the, the, the Hong Kong experience is, is perhaps the model we should all think about. Um, you're saying it went down, just so we're clear, down to 40 to 50 percent down, and is now where? Uh, so, in terms um, of the return? It, it, um, I would say it's probably come back. So, again, Pizza Trough, the, the maximum was 45. It's still probably about 30 percent off, I would say, today. Um, but we're starting to see a steady decline. And as you know, the, the, the cases in Hong Kong have, have uh, actually flattened out. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and, and we do expect in our business, as you know, uh, we are a largely variable cost business. We do not have, you know, large CapEx expenditures. We do not pay for slotting fees. Um, we don't have cars that run empty. And so what, what I would tell you is that we, we do believe our business can recover. Uh, when pe we know that we're an important part of how people get around, including you, Andrew, as, as we know. Yes, as you know. And, and so when people start going back to work, uh, we know that our recovery should be uh, aligned with people going back and moving around in the city. Right. Okay. Uh, Nelson, we really appreciate you joining us uh, okay. to help us through this. Uh, you also lived through the financial crisis. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. That sounds great. Andrew. Thank Thanks. you.
That's Squawk Pod for today. And a note to our listeners as we all navigate this new normal of social distancing, staying put, and what that means in our communities and in our workplaces. Here at CNBC, we hope to continue bringing you this podcast, the best of our morning show, Squawk Box, with Joe, Becky, and Andrew, as long as we are able. So it might sound different in the coming days and weeks. Please know we're working hard to consistently bring you all the information and analysis that we can. Stick with us. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. Send us a tweet. Check in on your loved ones and neighbors. And thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.